Hello and welcome everyone to the second episode of Designing Climate Actions. Before we start this episode, I'd like to read an excerpt from the book called Biomimicry: Innovation Inspired by Nature from Jenny Benews. Nature runs on sunlight. Nature uses the only the energy it needs. Nature fits form to function. Nature recycles everything. Nature rewards cooperation. Nature banks on diversity. Nature demands local expertise. Nature curbs excess from within. Nature taps the power of limits. Welcome again, everyone. Today's topic is implementing biomimicry for social innovation. I'm your co-host Janvi Mange, greeting you guys from Savannah, Georgia. Traditionally, it's the land that belongs to the Yamasee tribe. I like to introduce you guys to our co-host Rachel Gulla. Hello, my name is Rachel Gula. I use she/they pronouns, and I'm currently live streaming from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nuuvi, Southern Paiute, and Pueblos people. And I'm very, very honored and thrilled to have our guest here, McCall Lankford. So thank you very much for being here, and I'd love to pass the mic over to you to introduce yourself. Yeah, thank y'all so much for having me. Uh, my name is McCall Lankford. Um, I am a biomimicry consultant. I am calling in from Jacksonville, North Carolina, and it's the traditional land of the Lumbi tribe. Um, I'm super excited to be here with y'all today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Michal. Today's episode is one of my personal favorites because biomimicry was the way for me to get into systems thinking, to get into sustainability, and the career I chose right now. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you, Mikal. And before we start, like uh, we would like to know some background about you, what got you into biomimicry, and a little introduction, if you can give to everyone here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my introduction to the field of biomimicry um, was a, a bit of a unique one. Um, my grandfather ran an industrial manufacturing uh, textile company called Interface that he founded. Uh, back in the 70s. Um, the Interface Carpetile Company was a heavily petroleum uh, textile manufacturer. Um, he was really passionate about the work that he did. He brought uh, modular carpets to the United States. Um, and he read a book in the early 90s called The Ecology of Commerce by Paul Hawken. Um, and he said that it was like a spear to the chest. Um, he realized the damage and destruction that his organization was causing, and instead of turning a blind eye to that, uh, took on this mission to uh, green and what he called climb mount sustainability for Interface. Um, he rallied that entire uh, billion dollar corporation to uh, seek net zero um, outputs by 2020. Um, and on that journey, you know, he admitted, I know nothing about sustainability. This is all new to me. Um, and so he went out and found um, individuals that were leading the forefronts of sustainability pioneering uh, back in the 90s. And Janine Benyus, whose quote uh, you just read from her first published book, um, happened to be on that uh, dream team, they called it. Um, so I was eight or nine years old uh, when I had my first introduction to biomimicry. Um, I went on to get my undergraduate in business and marketing um, and then spent some time doing nonprofit development in, for environmental nonprofits. So 
fundraising and donor management. Um, I stayed in that field for a couple of years and, you know, was re-inspired, spending some time backpacking through the United States, uh, really immersing myself in nature. Um, I felt really called to follow in Janine's footsteps and start designing with the biomimicry methodology. So that's how I ended up here. Thank you so much, Mikal. It's truly a very beautiful journey that you have and so inspirational that you are living the life of biomimicry as a philosophy from your childhood. So going, going in the flow here, I like to know, like from this expert, we learned so much about, you know, the importance of coexistence. And that's also a talk of the hour of how we all can coexist and, you know, about unity, equity. Um, among all this, like what exactly is biomimicry? Because this term is still not so well known around, not so popular, and there are a lot of myths around it. So I'd like to know from you, like, what exactly is biomimicry and why is it so much important at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, so biomimicry literally means uh, imitating life. Um, and biomimicry is both a design methodology and a sustainable design philosophy. Um, so the field is, it's literally looking at natural models, both biological and ecological models, uh, to guide the production of materials, structures, uh, processes, and systems in the human design world. Um, so, and, and the idea is that, you know, we're really clever, um, you know, humans have some good ideas, but we're also a really young species on Earth. Um, and the folks in my design field really look at life on Earth um, that has been happening for the last 3.8 billion years as this very iterative, um, evolutionary and evolving design process. Uh, one of my colleagues um, wrote a book called Teeming. And in her book, she says, you know, our failures are our fossils. Organisms that were not able to adapt to the operating conditions on Earth and that our successes are the living organisms that are outside of our door right now. They are well adapted to this place, they fit in, they're responding to the operating conditions on earth and that we have a lot to learn from them. Um, and that we could look at the last 3.8 billion years of life as 3.8 billion years of untapped research and development. Um, and you also asked, why is it so important? Um, I think there's a really important distinction to make between simple uh, bio-inspired design and biomimicry. Um, there is this ethos uh, stronghold in the practice of biomimicry that really calls for us to design like nature to fit into nature. Um, nature creates conditions that are conducive to life. It's literally what it's aiming to do, right? Survive here. And so if we could emulate those characteristics in the natural world to create conditions conducive to life, we will in essence play a role just like every other living organism here to create conditions conducive to future generations of humans and other organisms. Um, so, you know, when you ask what the importance is, you know, looking to nature for guidance and design is super important, especially when you start talking about climate action. Um, we can learn a lot on how to develop healthy atmospheric compositions just by looking at the systems that are starting to become unbalanced now. 
Um, so I think that's a really good quick summary of the importance of practicing biomimicry. That's so interesting, as you said, like, you know, nature is already balancing itself and it's on us to learn from it and not just, you know, mimic the outer part, but actually the systems and the inner working of nature. So how do you learn those principles and implement them in our current systems? As you mentioned about social innovation. So how do you get to that point? Like, how do you understand those principles of nature rather than just the form of nature? Yeah, so I think it's really important to kind of um, walk through how to design with biomimicry before we can really touch on leveraging uh, deep patterns in nature to influence our social designs. Um, it's really important just to talk about, you know, how to develop a product or a process looking at nature. Um, just like any design field, there is a design thinking methodology. You know, we scope a challenge. Um, sometimes it could be a product challenge. Sometimes it could be a process challenge. Sometimes it could be a systems challenge. Um, and when we talk about social innovation, we're talking about developing conceptual systems. Um, so literal emulation is looking at, you know, a nanostructure that ruptures bacteria cells to develop an antibacterial uh, surface that doesn't use toxic chemicals to kill bacteria. It's a, a structural emulation of um, something that kills bacteria. Um, we can look at uh, processes in nature to influence how we design processes here. Uh, for example, um, you could look at the uh, construction of coral, pulling uh, minerals and CO2 from the salt water to develop a hard surface that could influence the way that we design our um, pavements, our building materials uh, to be one that pulls carbon from the atmosphere instead of producing it um, when we make the materials. But the systems emulation piece is what is super fascinating. And you can do it in a, a literal sense. You can emulate entire ecosystems um, to develop sustainable cities, you know, uh, pavements that are pervious, just like the forest floor, so that water passes through the pavement and is filtered and is returned to the water table in a healthy way or buildings that um, emulate the foundations of tree anchorage in places that see a lot of monsoons so that you have buildings that can withstand you know, high flow of flooding. Um, but you can also look at the natural world to influence the decisions that we make in building social systems. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where deep patterns in nature become really cool. Um, Biomimicry 3.8 ran by Dana Baumeister, they are one of the leading biomimicry consulting firms um, in the world. Um, and they had a team of biologists scour um, an unbelievable amount of primary literature, biological primary literature to distill universal patterns that are present in all living organisms currently alive on Earth. Um, if you go to Biomimicry 3.8's website, you can download uh, a document, and they call these deep patterns life's principles. Um, and these life's principles, these deep patterns that are present in, you know, every living organism on Earth, uh, guide creating conditions conducive to life. These are principles that organisms are leveraging to create conditions to continue surviving here. Um, and when we talk about developing social systems, when we talk about developing an individual resilience model, 
when we talk about um, small group uh, systems, when we talk about uh, organizational development or policy or even culture, um, we can look to sets of principles that create conditions conducive to life and allow those to influence good decision-making and leadership and social dynamics. Um, the reason that I think social innovation is so cool is because I grew up listening to the story my grandfather told about his company. Um, and you know, you can have a renegade that wants to green a company, but unless you have buy-in from every person that is working for that organization, unless every person really gets the culture that you're trying to instill, you won't see the progress and the movement that they were able to cultivate because they reached the individuals that work there. So obviously building our products and our, our processes, our infrastructure, our buildings uh, through a biomimetic design lens is so pertinent. Um, but I think you really have to have the cultural buy-in and the the social systems development before this can really take hold, um, where you see a massive design movement. Um, so when we design in social systems, we want to look at these deep patterns. Um, people are really complex. Um, so it would be really silly to suggest, you know, we look at the, the ants social system and try to emulate that. Um, we're, we're different. We're, we're more complex in some ways, less complex in other ways. Um, but the idea is that when we want to design socially, if we look at these deep patterns, things that are repetitively successful over and over and cultivating conditions conducive to life, um, these deep patterns can influence good decision making and social development. Um, and I would love to share with y'all a few of these life's principles, just so that you can get an idea of um, how these can be uh, leveraged to develop social systems. Um, so you want to really look at um, these 26 deep principles that uh, Biomimicry 3.8 has um, identified. Um, and the way that they organize them, it's in a really beautiful way. Um, they're organized in six quadrants and there's 26 principles total. Now this doesn't cover every deep pattern in nature, but this is the, the set of patterns that is like extremely universal. Um, first of all, you want your designs to be locally attuned and responsive. Um, I think culturally we've witnessed, at least in the uh, colonial West, that a lot of the social systems that are developed really are not attuned to the people in which they impact. Um, there's a small group of folks making decisions and not necessarily really doing a great job at listening to the constituents that are carrying out those social um, endeavors. So, you know, establishing feedback loops is one of the uh, life's principles. Um, use feedback loops to ensure that the systems that you're developing are really serving its constituents. Um, another thing is to use readily available materials and energy um, and to cultivate cooperative relationships um, and also to leverage cyclic processes. Um, so you can technically take a social system and run what we call a life's principles analysis on that specific system where you go through and you say, does this social system or this simple set of rules use feedback loops? Are there opportunities for us to establish more feedback loops? And you can go through all 26 of these life's principles. And by the end of it, you will have a guideline on how to 
improve the social system to function a little bit more like nature. You can also use these lives principles to guide social system development from the get go. Um, so if you're looking at developing a new po policy, um, you know, you can identify the goals of the policy that you're trying to create, run an LP audit, um, and lace in important principles to that policy that seem uh, relevant to the advancement of the, the policy that you're trying to push. And also for our viewers, uh, since Mikhail mentioned about biomimicry 3.8, if you see your Twitch uh, messaging right now, like uh, I have put two links over there. One link is about the immersive workshop training that Biomimicry 3.8 provides, where you would learn all the frameworks and how to implement them. And the other link is the actual link of the website where you can uh, see all the flashcards and all these processes and you know how to learn from each pieces, uh, which it is mentioned over there. So please go through those links as well. And yeah, I'm handing it over to Rachel. Thank you. Yeah, McCall, there was so much amazing information just in that question. Thanks for sharing the principles with us as well. It, it seems like it's so obvious and evident how beneficial biomimicry would be, even from like a business point of view to help businesses become more sustainable and actually survive. So we're curious, how can people, how can designers and artists and storytellers really apply biomimicry bio into various fields of design? Um, so for me as like a songwriter, musician, storyteller, how would someone like me incorporate biomimicry into the work that I'm doing or like in different fields? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Uh, the beauty of biomimicry is that it's super multidisciplinary. Um, right. We like to think that anything that isn't nature designed is human designed and that we can look to nature to influence any of those designs. So um, as um, as was just mentioned, you know, you could obviously go seek out biomimicry training. You could join 3.8 on a weekly intensive immersion uh, where they start touching on principles of biomimicry and how to implement biomimicry in your design field. Um, you could take it further and do uh, a certificate at Arizona State University that really guides you through um, an intro to biomimicry. Um, or you could take it as far as to getting uh, a master's degree and a professional certification um, as a recognized uh, consultant and practitioner. Um, but there are other ways that designers can implement biomimicry in their work without going and getting degrees. Um, one way to do it is to bring a biomimicry professional or consultant on with you in a project that you're working on. So for instance, um, I, I really enjoy what I do. I get to play a bridge between the scientific community and designers. Like I'm not an architect. Um, I'm not an engineer. Um, I do some organizational development work just because of my business background, um, but I'm usually working with people to bring biomimicry into their design process. So, you know, if you're out there and you're an architect and you're really wondering how to start framing things up this way, obviously you could go on an immersion or you could get a certificate or you could even take it as far as to get a master's. A lot of the folks that are practitioners like me did exactly that. They are in a design field and they wanted to bring biomimicry in so they went and got formal training. Um, but the other option is that you team up with folks that are designing this way. Um, you can pull biomimicry practitioners into your design field in whatever capacity um, feels right to you. I love that you asked about singing and songwriting 
coming to. And I think this is like a, a really great place for these life's principles to come into action. Um, they're really, they're really impactful and they're creating conditions conducive to life. Like what beautiful messaging to bring into, um, especially messages of hope in times of despair. Um, so, you know, I've had artists um, generate um, art and entertainment using life's principles as guiding principles to what that um, art piece came out to be, right? Use readily available in materials and energy. It becomes this like a very beautiful uh conducive to life, uh, like limitations and constraints to follow when you're creating art. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, getting formal training is great. Partnering with a practitioner is a really, uh, you know, streamlined way to start pulling biomimicry into your practice right now. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And it makes sense. Like you think that, Hey, it's worked for 3.8 billion years. Uh, this might work. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, go on. I was just going to say, yeah, and like 3.8 billion years of refinement and iteration. Um, and like, that's the beautiful piece of it right now. It's like the things that are alive outside of our door right now have gone through so many iterations to be what they are now. Like they've been designing a lot longer than we have. And so they have a lot of wisdom to offer us. Exactly. Even like the indigenous people who have been around for thousands of years and they have that close relation with nature and with these systems. Um, so it's especially evident in those indigenous communities as well. Yeah, um, no, I love that you say that, you know, we make it very clear that the folks that are practicing this formalized version of biomimicry, we do not, we do not consider ourselves the first people to ever have this idea. Um, we talk about reconnecting to nature a lot, you know, implying that we used to be connected and there are still communities to this day that are, you know, behaving in more healthy uh, dynamics than we are because they have stayed connected. Um, and in the face of colonialization, um, they have been challenged to be really resilient. Um, and so, you know, we like to consider ourselves and, you know, my mentor, Dana Baumeister, once said that this is an emerging discipline of an ancient practice and that we are really at this tipping point of acknowledging the wrongs that we've done as a Western civilization um, and acknowledging that because there is access to scientific research, there are a lot of emerging opportunities to do exactly what indigenous peoples have done, um, you know, historically and to this day. You know, for me, it's really starting to become apparent um, that we're, we're starting to focus our Western scientific lens on the indigenous people's practices. And we are scientifically starting to prove that indigenous behaviors far the benefits far outweigh you know what western capitalist society um, has put into action um, so i really appreciate you acknowledging indigenous peoples um, they most certainly have a spot at the design table um, and and this field really calls indigenous peoples into design it's so wonderful that we are discussing about you know, indigenous wisdom, which was our very first episode where we learned so much about, you know, how to learn from their principles and the four sacred gifts and how biomimicry totally ties in with that. 
but the here the another question is also about you know the current systems that we have designed it's not as dynamic or as fluid like you know the corporate systems to talk about or the government yeah. systems to talk about or even the public private partnerships like you know earlier you did mention about how can we design better policies using biomimicry principles so here i want to ask like you know if anyone wants to have this modification for example organizational development or something new to get in uh, can you share what all is really required how the people in leadership can think about it to bring this change or you know the current startups a lot, lot of young uh, people and youth are coming up with innovative startup ideas so how can they think about pitching in or even the uh, people who are into you know investments and funding because nothing ever works without funding right now so how do they can think about you know where to invest in and you know which kind of such projects that they can invest in yeah i mean you make a really uh, a really interesting point when you talk about young startups i think that there is a generation of folks that are looking to design regeneratively from the get go um, and there are tools that can be leveraged um, in business model creation, in organizational development, strategic planning. Um, and it, it's really finding the folks that have developed the tools and the practitioners that are offering these services to guide folks in these startups. Um, again, Biomimicry 3.8, they do a really great job. They've got um, free um, tools available on their website um, that are intended to uplift startups and young entrepreneurs. Um, they've got a really great um, rendition to the business model canvas, which allows you to take a snapshot of your um, startup, of your organization, map it out in this canvas, and then use life's principles to make better decisions from the very start of your organization. Um, a really good friend of mine and colleague, um, Toby Hertzlick, runs Biomimicry for Social Innovation, where she offers tools to small organizations, startups, well-established organizations to help them develop uh, resilience on an individual level, um, to develop group resilience, um, organizational resilience, and then, um, you know, business, um, uh, strategic business planning with the biomimetic lens. These are all things that are coming out of uh, Toby Herslick's Biomimicry for Social Innovation organization. Another person that's doing some really fantastic work in the social innovation um, uh, guidance in organizations is um, Sayer Reese. Uh, they use they them pronouns. Uh, their um, current career is in, uh, she's, or, sorry, they are a um, senior strategist for the National LGBTQ Task Force. Um, that, and they're also leading an initiative called Rewilding Resilience, where they are tapping into the local ecosystem of where an organization is operating out of. Uh, identifying really interesting biological stories of resilient organisms in that ecosystem, and then linking it to conceptual lessons on how to increase your individual resilience. Um, and this is a really beautiful tool when you're working in really high stress, low staff, um, grassroots initiatives. Um, and they're the ones that have really framed up this model of looking at the individual and the individual well-being, uh, moving to that group, 
of like, how am I operating with a small subset of people? And then looking at the organization of like, how is this organization structured? Does it benefit the individuals that are operating within the organization? Is it moving the organization to accomplish the goals that the organization set out to do? And then how is the organization playing in the larger movement, inviting other organizations to join in and design this way? Um, So I think, honestly, just like looking at tools that others are developing and pulling those into your startups or your organizations are really easy ways to start tapping into this field um, like quickly and now. Yeah. And what was the name of the organization you mentioned? Rewilding? Rewilding Resilience. Rewilding Resilience. Yeah. And it's a startup. Um, and they're, right now, they're working closely with the New Jersey Resource Project. Um, and they just finished developing the their first, what they called Rewilding Resilience, um, Individual Resilience Card Deck which is that locally attuned to specific organisms. The idea is really cool. So, you know, we've talked a lot about emulation today, um, looking at the natural world to guide our design. Uh, But the the philosophy of biomimicry, you know, that is one of three pillars that the philosophy really stands on. Um, The other two pillars are ethos, which is like designing um, with the influence of nature to fit in here that sustainability ethos of like, why would we look at the natural world so that our designs create conditions conducive to life? We've touched on that a little bit as well, but there's also this reconnect piece that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about indigenous peoples of like, we are societally disconnected from nature. And that disconnection has really led to uh, the unhealthy system dynamics that we see today. Um, But if we zoom out and we look at the individual person and the person's health, how that individual person is connected to nature, ways that connecting to nature can improve your health and your strategic resilience decision-making, it can guide to healthier groups. And that can guide to healthier organizations and that can guide to a healthier uh, social dynamic. Um, So Sayer's work at Rewilding Resiliency is really tapping into, you know, when we think about health, um, we think about ecosystem health a lot. Like the individual in resilience isn't focused on that much, but there's a lot of resilience at the individual organism level. um, And we're calling for individual resilience in all of our people that make up our organizations as well. So beautiful that you tied in, like, you know, the individual resilience to the community resilience and how this particular startup is coming up with frameworks and models to help us implement that from a startup to a corporate. And, you know, even in the personal life, like there's so much about our connection with the nature that reflects everywhere. So it also ties up into the mental health and wellness within the organizations and for the people. And looking up to that, like, as you mentioned about, you know, the practitioners, the biomimicry practitioners who are currently there all, all over the world. So can you share, is there, is there any particular platform uh, at this point of time where people can find those biomimicry practitioners and get in touch with them? Or is there somewhere, yeah. like, you know, some kind of data sheet? Or how, how do we? Yeah, well, so there's a two-part answer to this. Um, the uh, Biomimicry 3.8, again, they are leaders in this field. They have a platform called The Reef. Mm-hmm. And this is a place where practitioners have signed up to offer their services to other individuals. 
Um, I have also offered that if anybody in a specific field wants to reach out to me specifically, I would happily connect folks with the people that they're looking to, to get with. Um, you know, just sending in an email, summarizing who you are and what you're looking for. Um, I'm not the, the know-all of the Biomimicry Connected uh, Network, but I do have a pretty good idea of who to send where. Um, and then the other piece of this is like, we're really looking at motivating practitioners to join uh, your group, uh, climate designers. So, you know, we look at it as that we fall under this umbrella of climate designers. The, the type of designs that we're pushing forward uh, is inherently to protect the climate uh, and to negate the climate crisis. Um, so right now, the reef is the best place to go online and just poke around and see who you would want to connect with. Um, reaching out to Biomimicry 3.8 um, to check out their services and offerings is great. Um, if you're looking for social innovation developments, Toby Hertzlick at Biomimicry for Social Innovation is uh, the leader in the social innovation biomimicry design space um, and who I work really closely with. Um, and so those are really great starting points. Um, and again, I'm happy to connect individually with folks and send them in the right direction. Thank you so much. To all our listeners, I have put in uh, McCall's email ID in the chat. So you can go through that and people who are going to listen to us on YouTube, it's there on the tab and also in the YouTube description. All the links that we are sharing here in Livestream are all there in the YouTube description. So you can view about them and go and access them. And Rachel, do you want to share your photo? Yeah, I'm taking a look at the map here for the practitioner's reef. It's cool. It looks like it's interactive. Like you can see who is practicing on this map and it looks like through that, you can get connected with them. Yeah, what a great resource. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing that, McCall. Yeah, sure. um, and yeah, John B and I are really curious if there is a project that sticks out to you in particular on your journey, or you know, if there's something that's inspired you the most out of the projects that you've witnessed um, in your own work or with your colleagues, if you want to elaborate. Yeah, so I think that my answer is going to be a bit biased. The first project I was ever exposed to was the project that Interface undertook um, with their design lead, David Oki. Um, this was right when Interface had decided to, you know, internally revolutionize the way that they do industrial manufacturing. Um, they were really looking at um, the environmental impacts of dye lots. They were looking at the environmental impacts of installation time, um, of scraps that were generated um, from needing to cut specific carpet tiles to match them to others. Um, and so Janine Binyas and Dana Baumeister took David Oki out into the woods uh, with a small design charrette group. And they were looking at the forest floor and they realized that, you know, one specific leaf didn't have to fall in a specific place for that forest floor to be absolutely beautiful. Um, they, they recognized this pattern of organized chaos right? That no matter where a branch fell or a leaf fell or a patch of moss grew, that ground looked really inviting and really beautiful. Um, and so David Oki went back into the design lab and designed a carpet tile. They call it Entropy. Um, they came out with Entropy 2 as well. And Entropy is this carpet tile installation, these individual, you know, modular carpet tiles. 
but you can put down in any order in any pattern and it looks good. Um, this eliminated them needing to cut off dye lots and start new ones. This eliminated uh, a lot of the scraps that were generated from having to cut to line things up perfectly when there was like a specific image they were trying to show on the ground. And it also eliminated uh, installation time. Um, so, you know, you weren't having to like sit there and think really hard of how to match it up. You could just put them down and it looked good. Um, and, the, and then it's really multifunctional. The carpets themselves, the fact that it's a carpet tile instead of an entire rollout uh, means that if something happens to that specific tile, you can pull it up and put another one down and you don't have to replace the whole floor. Um, so I share that story just because it's really what triggered my career, you know, before I was 10. Um, and then there are some really, you know, moving uh, examples of biomimicry in the built environment. Um, there is the Eastgate Center in Zimbabwe. It is um, a building uh, with a cooling system inspired by termite mounds. Um, it's a 350,000 square foot building. Um, and it's got shopping and office spaces in it. It's absolutely massive. And it uses 90% less energy than a building of equal size. Um, and it's because the folks that designed it looked at the complex ventilation system that termites create within their mounds to keep them cool in the very hot African deserts. Um, and so this building emulates the ventilation system of a termite mound and is able to cool it with much less energy expulsion than a typical building of equal size. Um, that really was like a, a, a heavy hitter for me that like we really don't know how to design super efficient spaces yet, um, but that termites are cooling their mounds and they have something to show us. Um, and as I mentioned before, the social, the social constructs, the um, uh, social innovation tools that Sarah Reese have developed, that Toby Hertzlick have developed, um, those are very inspirational and impactful tools for me. There's another really great tool developed by a woman named Karen Allen. Um, she is a biologist at the design table and a mentor of mine. Um, and she designed this um, ecosystems comparative mapping tool where you can map out characteristics of your organizational output and the, character, or the characteristics of a type one ecosystem or an immature ecosystem in a type two ecosystem, a mature ecosystem. And you can use the tool to move from immature to mature. Uh, you know, how to close loops, how to be more efficient, how to improve the diversity of the system, um, essentially how to mature your business um, so that it's functioning more efficiently. Uh, those are all really great tools um, that I highly recommend checking out. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, John V, it looks like you're still muted, but um, yeah, those are really great examples. And I'm curious if you have any insight, like like I mentioned, it's so evident how beneficial implementing biomimicry is. I'm curious if you have insight on like how we can encourage more people to incorporate these principles or even you know encouraging corporations and people in power, like how do we actually have people um, incorporate these, these principles? Yeah, I mean, all of the tools that I've mentioned, um, all the entry points that I've mentioned, I highly encourage, you know, you get to decide as, as a designer, like your avenue into this world. 
Um, you know, the beauty of this is that I think so many people are recognizing that designs need to be regenerative. Um, and folks are saying we want to design regeneratively without realizing that they're saying we want to emulate nature. Um, what are examples of regeneration? Where are they? You know, they're in living systems. Um, so it's already starting to happen, right? Folks are calling in that they want to do regenerative design. Um, this is literally that. Um, and again, you know, you can, you know, ask a biomimicry practitioner to brainstorm with you, to play with you, uh, regardless of the design field that you're in. Um, you can seek, uh, you know, some very uh, entry level training just so that you can start thinking from this perspective. You know, I've encouraged joining in to the biomimicry 3.8s in person immersions. Um, they're really fantastic. You get to go into a natural biome and learn how to start thinking about biology from a functional lens of like what, how does nature accomplish this specific task? Um, and then, you know, highly encourage people to take it further than that. The certificate at Arizona State University is a fantastic primer to pulling biomimicry design into your design practice. Um, and then I, I will put out a very um, explicit warning that whenever you turn this leaf over, it is so hard to look at things uh, from a different perspective again. Um, I initially was just gonna do the certificate. Um, I was fascinated with biomimicry and wanted to pull it in. And I have since completed the master's program and become one of a hundred folks that are trained in the biomimicry professional certification in this field. It is really um, inspiring. It is really captivating. Um, and I highly encourage any designer that's trying to take climate action uh, to consider incorporating biomimicry into their practice. Nice. Yeah, thank you so much. It's amazing how, you know, finally there's degrees for this and like options to take courses and do, like you're saying, a more immersive experience with it. Um, yeah, so it seems like right now we do have a technical glitch. So John V right now is unable to unmute herself. Um, <laughs> with that being said, it'll be you and I, McCall, and then John V is here. Uh, yeah, John V, if you have anything else you want to mention, feel free to message it to me and I can be your voice for the rest of the interview. <laughs> um, that's so funny. This is definitely a moment of building the bike as we ride it. So thank oh, you for your yeah. patience, everyone, as well. Well, of course. And, you know, one of the life's principles is um, maintain resilience through redundancy, variation, and decentralization. So the fact that there are two of y'all means that we can keep going because someone's uh, still up and running. Yes. Thank you, nature. Thank you. All right. Let's see. So I'm looking at our final question we have listed, and I feel like yeah, you've touched on it. It was, you know, how to have a lookout for biomimicry as a mainstream career option. And we've talked about the courses available and the wonderful work for 3.8. Um, this next question says, what tangible actions need to be taken to implement these principles for organizational development? Um, which again, I feel like we've, we've touched on through this interview, but if you have more you want to add to this section, I'm also curious, um, you mentioned the three pillars and you touched on the ethos a bit. I'm also curious to dive deeper into that and really kind of talk about the intention for why, like, why should we care to even do this? 
Yeah, so the the three pillars of biomimicry um, of the biomimicry philosophy are really what differentiates it from other bio-inspired design. I mean, we're all a big happy family. You know, there are folks that are in bionics, biomimetics, um, bio-inspired design, and biomimicry, and we all play with each other very well. Um, but biomimicry really taps into this ethical and moral obligation to design to fit into Earth. Um, that, you know, we don't want to emulate an organism to accomplish a specific task that is inevitably detrimental to um, the Earth. We want to create conditions that are conducive to life. Um, we want to aid in Earth being a healthy place for, you know, our natural ecosystems, but inevitably our people. Um, I think it's really great when people are like, oh, you're like kind of in a, you know, social space. It's like, no, that's literally all I'm in. Uh, nature's going to be fine, uh, regardless of the, you know, uh, devastation we cause. Um, we're really here to design for our well-being. Um, and right now, uh, in our current systems and the current dynamics under which we practice, we're not doing the greatest job at that. Um, so this ethos piece is really tapping into how can we learn from her wisdom in a way that encourages her health and inevitably ours. Um, so the ethos piece is a big driver for me. You know, I argue that that's how I entered into this space. You know, we can all enter from different ways. And I would argue that your entire audience is entering through this ethos piece. You know, we're all here because we care about climate action. Um, but you have people that enter into biomimicry because they are so connected. They have gone uh, out and they have feel, felt inspired and they are seeing what nature's doing and recognizing that you can design from that. Um, but yeah, this really feels like, you know, anybody that's in the environmental space, anybody that's like crying out for climate action, they're coming into the biomimicry realm through that ethos door of like, we care about planet and we care about people. Um, and we want to leverage the biological and ecological wisdom that surrounds us to build better systems. Absolutely. It looks like John V's back. Is your mic working? Are you guys able to hear me? Yes. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah, there's a technical you. glitch with the live transcript that we are doing. It's, it, I don't know, it's something which is not fitting our system, but we are trying our best so that everyone can read it and listen to it, whichever is comfortable. So I have this question, Mikal, like, uh, you know, we, ha we have shared a lot, like in this half an hour, there's a lot of information that we have consumed, but still, what is the uh, most common misconception or myth around biomimicry that you would like to address so that people are aware of? Yeah, I mean, just really understanding what biomimicry is. Um, we play this game called bio what a lot. Um, there is uh, bio utilization, which is using organic products, organic materials um, to accomplish a specific task. Um, there's biomorphism where we just make things look like living things, you know, like a building that looks like a fish. Um, or a home that looks like a tree, um, or a you know a, a electricity pole that blends in because they stick plastic tree branches on it. You know that's biomorphism. Um, 
And then like I've been talking about the differences between the different fields in bioinspiration. Um, you know, bionics is a very highly technical emulation of nature. It is a type of biomimicry. Um, Bio-inspired design is also a highly technical part of biomimicry. Um, but the, the differentiator for the field of biomimicry um, and the, the, the biggest misconception around the field is its philosophical principles uh, that it is lacing into its design methodology. Um, that we really are here to design better to fit in. We really are here um, to have a very ethical and moral approach to design. Um, we're here to show that reconnecting to nature on an individual level drives better design um, and it drives a healthier system. Um, so I think that differentiating between all of the different bios is the, the biggest misconception or misunderstanding of the field. Um, that we're looking at biology and how it's accomplishing its tasks, and we're abstracting these design principles um, and leveraging those abstracted design principles to guide the way that we design. Absolutely. So if I understand you correct, and for all our viewers also, it's important here what we are discussing is how do we use biomimicry as a philosophy, as a way of being, and acting and you know uh, putting it as a brain of our system rather than just as a tool that we can just incorporate at the very end we are doing it from the very beginning and we're yeah. not just you know mimicking whatever nature looks like but we are trying to mimic how nature functions exactly yes absolutely yeah, so we have a few more minutes left. I do want to open it up. If folks have questions for McCall, feel free to type those questions in the chat and we will get to them as they come in. And during the time when people are, uh, you know, typing in their questions, I like to address that after every episode, every fourth Friday, we do have reflection episodes. Since there's a lot that we discussed within this 30 to 40 minutes, we want to, you know, have a reflection and insights of that where we can all come together and discuss about what we got from this insights, how we are thinking to implement them, what kind of extra support which is needed. And for all of that, we are opening about our reflection sessions for the people in our mighty network, Inner Circle of Climate Designers and Designing Climate Action. So we will be sharing all the links with you guys. Do join our Mighty Networks platform and then join our inner circle of designing climate action so that you can all be a part of this community. We all can together uh, discuss, brainstorm, and come up with new ideas. The main purpose of our podcast, Designing Climate Action, is to come up with tangible action plans and not just discuss, but come up with the next steps into, and put them into actions. So we would like all of you guys to join us in this mission forward. And it will also open up the platform for you guys to meet the like-minded people globally. And yeah, to share your views, thought processes, to learn from each other, basically. So please do join us and access our links that we are sharing. Yes, thank you. And we're really looking forward to having these reflections after we have our guest speakers. So we have a space where you know, we can really facilitate that collaboration and, 
you know, folks can share what they're working on in their own fields and their own work to see how we can help support each other. Um, yeah, it's looking like the chat is not loading right now, so I don't see any questions coming in, but I want to offer the floor back to you, McCall. If there's something else you want to touch base on before we wrap up here, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, sure. You know, just a huge thank you for giving me the opportunity to chat with y'all. Um, I'm super excited about the opportunity to bridge the biomimicry community uh, with the climate designers community. Um, I will say that it was, um, it was very, um, it was like, it felt like big shoes to fill uh, following Anita Sanchez. Um, what an honor um, to get to talk about biomimicry uh, directly after a session talking about indigenous wisdom. Um, it's something that I'm very um, passionate about and that I push for in my professional career, um, both in my biomimicry design work, but also my nonprofit development work. Um, and I'm, I'm just super uh, honored to get to spend this time with y'all. Um, and I really look forward to connecting with folks that are designers for climate action uh, that are interested in um, implementing biomimicry in whatever capacity feels right to them. Um, it is definitely a make it your own thing type of field uh, where you can get into it as much or as little as you want. Um, but in a day where we're really pushing for regenerative design, it is so important to look at what regeneration really means and how biomimicry ties into those goals. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I'm curious, um, in the next, like, where do you see the next chapter of biomimicry or the next chapter in your role in biomimicry, like the next year or next five years? Yeah, you know, I, we really haven't touched on what projects I'm currently involved in. Um, and, you know, I feel like we're really on this precipice of uh, because regenerative design is becoming so mainstream and that connection explicitly that when you say you want to be regenerative, you're saying that you want to emulate nature, like you want to practice biomimicry. Um, that we really are on this precipice of this being a, a credible and viable design methodology that's leveraged at all of the levels, um, whether it's individual well-being all the way up to, you know, global infrastructure development. Um, I actually came in contact with you uh, because I had sent out a survey um, from a, a regenerative and restorative innovation lab in transportation and mobility um, highway project yes. that is looking to bring biomimicry design thinking and the philosophical methodologies into the way that they're doing regenerative design on this 18 mile stretch of government run property. Um, the Ray Highway uh, is led by my mother, who was inspired by the work of her dad at Interface. You know, he took on the mission to do what he did in industrial manufacturing, and this next generation, my mother has deemed she wants to do the same thing in uh, U.S. transportation and mobility. Um, so it's so cool to see this um, next generation of someone setting out to do uh a restorative and regenerative project and leveraging biomimicry as a tool. 
Um, Ray was able to move the field of biomimicry forward uh, by setting an example within his organization. Um, and we're looking to set an example through a government-run entity with a lot of regulations um, that follows a specific culture that, you know, up until this point really wasn't tapping into these types of design thinking methodologies. Um, so the future is looking really hopeful. You know, in this next year, we're really in research mode. We're gathering information on all of the folks that are practicing biomimicry, how they're bringing it into, um, you know, social constructs all the way to large infrastructure builds, smart cities, um, agricultural management, um, and really mapping out the bio-inspired and biomimetic uh, ecosystem network of people that are doing this so that they can leverage the 18 mile stretch of highway in South Georgia to demonstrate the effectiveness of biomimetic design. Thank you so much, Michal. And to sum it up over here, today we learned a lot about what biomimicry is and how to be leveraged that. And for all our viewers who wants to take the next step and put it into action, do access uh, you know, uh, the website of Biomimicry 3.8 there's nothing much better than educating ourselves. There are various different ways. Take the training courses from Biomimicry 3.8. There's a lot of uh, certification courses and master's program provided by the Arizona State University that we are sharing the link with. And yeah, like, and much more beyond that, just have an eyes of observation around you. Like, try to develop your own vision look at everything around you as a source of learning every living species is a source of learning and Absolutely. try to make it for yourself what are you able to learn try to journal it for yourself if you are into journaling that's the best way to go forward and yeah like for people into organizations and startups if you want to have someone from the, as a biomimicry expert in your team do reach out to the biomimicry 3.8 go to their which was that link again, the reef at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Go to the reef, reach out to the individuals who are the experts and get them in your team. Like collaboration is the key. Join Mighty Networks, join Designing Climate Action. And yeah, we all welcome you to our community and stay tuned with us and be inspired in life and inspire everyone else around you. Yes, thank you, McCall. And it gives me hope and optimism to hear what's on the horizon through your projects and 3.8. This has been a wonderful conversation. So again, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your knowledge. And yes, as John V mentioned, uh, stay on the loop, join our Mighty Networks for our fourth Friday reflections where we will have a space where we can reflect on how we're incorporating these things we learned. So thank you so much again, McCall. It's been an absolute pleasure. You are a ray of sunshine. Always love hearing what you have to say. <laughs> thank you both so much for having me on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. See ya.